bringing critical reflection to the exchange of ideas is not mean. Sure, it's easy to feel like someone doesn't care about you when they don't share your valuation of your idea or your perspective, but consider this. Maybe their criticism is a gift. Maybe their willingness to challenge you will bring learning and progress you'd have otherwise never experienced. This is the podcast by Stone Creek Coffee, and it is what it is. So we're operating under the assumption that the exchange of ideas makes you better. And I think that's a pretty quantifiable reality, that the more ideas you encounter and wrestle with, overall, the better thinker you'll become. We want a business at Stone Creek that's full of good thinkers. It's really going to be impossible to grow the business and evolve the business in the way we want without the strong thinking and execution of a whole lot of people. But then we're left with this question, how do you know who is a strong thinker and how might we identify those whose thinking is truly valuable? And that's what we're going to talk about today a little bit. We believe that identifying the thinking and the thinkers that will drive your business can be profoundly aided by cultivating an environment of radical transparency. And radical transparency is a concept like many that we've talked about so far in the, in the last five or so episodes of the podcast. It's a concept that we really stole from somebody else. And we, we want to own that because we think that there's very few new ideas out there. And sometimes just learning the ideas of others will really help drive you in your evolution. I'm Drew Pond. I'm the managing director and one of the co-owners at Stone Creek. And, and with me is our founder, co-owner, and master idea thief, Eric Resch. So Eric, talking about radical transparency, can you start us off by defining radical transparency and talk about where you first encountered this concept? This idea of radical transparency came from Ray Dalio. And uh, Ray Dalio built over a 40-year period the world's largest hedge fund. And recently, in the last couple of years, has published a book called Principles. In this fairly hefty book, he basically published his thinking about his career, how he built his culture at Bridgewater, the hedge fund. I I got a hold of this book. um, But in the book, Um, One of the principles, again, that's the title of the book, but he talks about his principles that he used to grow his company. One of the the principles was around this notion of radical transparency. And and the first time I heard that, of course, we all know what transparency is. When you say radical, what does that mean? My summary, saying what's on your mind, trying to not hold back with regard to protecting other people's feelings or your own feelings and that in the long run that it's better to talk about the truths as you see them when you see them and deal with reality and that's another principle that we're not really going to touch on but it, it is related to radical transparency and that's dealing with reality as you face it so what i wanted to do is i wanted to open up his book here and just read one paragraph The idea of radical transparency actually uh, flows throughout the book, but this is from Ray Dalio, a book called Principles. Aligning what you say with what you think and what you think with what you feel will make you feel much happier and much more successful. Thinking solely about what's what's accurate instead of how it is perceived pushes you to focus on the most important things. It helps you sort through people and places because you'll be drawn to the people and places that are open and honest. 
it's also fair to those around you. Making judgments about people so that they are tried and accused in your head without asking for their perspective in bo is both unethical and unproductive. Having nothing to hide relieves stress and builds trust. There's so, so much in there, which we'll get to some of it. But anything you want to comment on right now? No, but close the loop. That's that's where I learned about radical transparency. And one of the things Ray talks about in his book is he said, listen, I'm publishing these so that people will take them. You know, to think that we're an idea thief is certainly one way to say it. But if you think about learning, you don't learn in a vacuum. You learn through a teacher saying, I've been through some things and let me share these things and you can then grab onto those things that you think will be most helpful. And this one has been particularly helpful for me personally. Yeah. I mean, I know you bought that book and then I bought that book. It's for profit. But the, the giving of ideas, even in a business like selling your ideas, is kind of a gracious exercise. And Seth Godin talks about being gracious in the sharing of yourself. I think that's really something to latch onto. Uh, yeah, I, idea thief is just a fun sort of moniker, but you're really just receiving someone else's gift, their mm -hmm. willingness to put themselves out there. So going back to radical transparency, and when you first started reading this book, Eric, I, I remember the first time the words kind of showed up in Stone Creek. Uh, we were at a meeting, we, well, we had called a meeting, the direction team had called a meeting because we we're facing the Chicago project that's almost open. It's set to open March 29th, knock on wood. We were at the very start of the project, um, you know, we had committed to a lease, but construction hadn't started, and, you know, we had opened a Madison Cafe that was struggling at the time and we'd opened a hardwood cafe that was doing okay and we're just trying to figure out is this the best path for us we've got a big downer project that wasn't completed at the time and a lot of risk so we have this meeting to discuss the prospect of going to Chicago at that stage in our company and that meeting itself was a pretty large shift in the way we managed issues a shift away from closed door meetings to a pretty open exchange of information and ideas and perspectives So Eric, walk our listeners through this. What was the point of this Chicago meeting and, and contrast it with some of our decisions leading up to that point? I have said over the years, I wanna stay in business long enough to get lucky. And the reason I bring that up today is because I think my learning is my luck in a way. And I feel lucky to have learned this idea of both my biases and then bringing radical transparency to how we look at decisions. As Drew said, we've opened cafes that have been sort of wildly successful and we've opened ones that have not. You know, when you make a mistake and you have a multi-year lease and you've invested hundreds of thousands of dollars, it's pretty frustrating. What I was concerned about with the Chicago project is I have a tendency to be overconfident. You know, as the founder of this company and one of the main drivers, confidence is a requirement to kind of take the leap at times, but the, the, the flip side of that confidence is overconfidence with regard to my decision making. And I realized over the last 25 years and with even more reflection, the last three or four, I have made decisions that could have been better if I had brought more people into the thinking. And that's a little bit risky because you're coming to your team and you're saying, I have a concern. I'm trying to make this decision. 
I don't have the right answer. The more people, the more smart, believable people we can get to provide input on this decision, we will make a better decision. And so that's what the Chicago meeting was about. It was about, hey, we've got a lot of risk in the business right now. We've got this next project coming. Can I just run my thinking by you, direction team, and other key leaders in the company? And not only run it by in the sense of, can you tell me what you think, but I'm going to ask you when you respond, well, why do you think that? And we're going to process the decision and seek consensus as a group as to where to move forward. And there's a lot of good benefit that came out of that meeting. But I used the words radical transparency, I think, as Drew said, for the first time in that meeting and said, I need your radical transparency. And essentially what I was giving was I was giving people at the table the freedom to talk as openly and freely as they could with me, even if it was, Eric, I think you've made a really bad decision, blah, blah, blah. So that's how we got into it. Talk about the process for a minute is radical transparency. It's going to require a certain dial of communication in that um, you can be radically transparent, but requiring that we actually wrestle through the validity of the ideas. So we'll talk about what radical transparency produces and what it requires here as we kind of shift gears. And let's start with this idea or this concept that radical transparency is in service to the idea meritocracy. And that's another Ray Dalio thing, Eric. Break down the idea meritocracy for us. Radical transparency tied to the idea meritocracy. The notion is that if you're going to tell me what you think, you need to have a mental map or a framework upon which your thinking rests. And the idea meritocracy is sort of the collision of your ideas with your merit. And the merit is your thinking. I think one, two, three, and then my response would be, well, why do you think one, two, three? Well, I have this information, this information, and this information, and together I can synthesize this other conclusion from that. That's the combination of the merit and the idea coming together so that people in the room can make a judgment about your thinking. It's not helpful for someone to tell us their opinion. It's helpful for someone to tell us what they think and upon which is that what is that thinking built? And that's what Ray Dalio talks about as an idea meritocracy is the best ideas based on merit will win and carry the day. As a business, we need the best ideas. I empathize with Eric's statements about um, overconfidence and bravado. You Going back over the last three years, if Eric and I get in the room together and it's the two of us and we're on the same page and no one else has spoken into something, that's just a lot of horsepower behind an idea that's going to be tough to turn if, we, if there's no invitation to have other people play a role in that. But if you can get a group of six people with unique perspectives together wrestling it out, you're gonna just produce a better outcome. You won't always be right, but your odds of being right go significantly up. A Couple other things radical transparency can, can do to help you. I mean, I think it can help you personally, pretty well and I think it helps in a business is that you're going to sort of overcome the the notion that one person rules like the organization or the community unit is driven by one person you won't do stuff just because one person said you should do it that's probably not healthy in any context yeah that's contrasted we want the most believable people speaking into an issue we don't really care 
what their role is. Um, we want their believability. And their believability is weighted based on their experience. So have they done this before? Have they worked through this in another context? Did they that's do analogous? the reading? Right. Did they do the reading? Do they understand what we're talking about? So meritocracy simply means it's not a democracy. It's not a dictatorship, but rather the idea carries the weight. You're also going to avoid atrophy and failure because you'll, you'll call those things out when you see it. Like as you form ideas and start to move, if you hold a disposition of radical transparency, you'll be willing to call out misses and gaps and failures and fix them. Like if you're not radically transparent, oftentimes you'll let things go because quite frankly, you don't want to hurt someone's feelings or it's more quote unquote, more work to fix the thing than to just let it go. And that's not going to get you very far. Finally, another great thing to be gained from radical transparency is what um, Ray called out in his book. It's that you just kind of feel better. It's great to be able to speak what's on your mind. To have a disposition of transparency means you're not keeping things bottled up and you're not harboring poor feelings about a scenario or idea. You've been allowed to speak it and say your piece and then get in consensus with a group on the best path forward. Without that, you, you often feel like, oh, I should have spoken up or they should have let me speak up and now we're doing this thing that I haven't bought in on. That's probably not very healthy. In another book I read recently called Five Dysfunctions of a Team, there's a principle in there that I think is also helpful. It's that in order to get buy-in, you have to get weigh-in. So you have to get weigh-in from your people to get them to buy-in. They don't have to be right, but if they've had an opportunity to speak into an issue, they're far, far more likely to be like, regardless of what the final decision is, okay, I'm with you. I'm on board. Let's go. Yeah. One other thing that we've seen as we've begun to do this, people will preface their difficult statements, their difficult things with something that, that is interesting. They'll say, in the interest of radical transparency, XYZ. And what that signals to the group is they're going to say something risky. They're probably going to say something risky that may offend other people. And I've just been watching the last six or nine months as we've really been doing more and more of this. It's really cool when people say that because it means they're trying. They're trying to say the thing they're thinking. I think over time we will probably say, stop saying that, but to protect people's emotions in a way, um, I think that's really a nice step forward. So even as we try and ingrain this concept in the culture, we have to own that radical transparency is a very difficult concept to teach. In the intro, I own the reality that some people will receive radical transparency as meanness because it's challenging by nature. Eric, what do you see as some of the largest hindrances to getting people to be radically transparent and to embrace that as part of our company culture? I'd say the number one is that people, at the end of the day, they want to be liked. We all want to be liked. We want to belong to a group. And of the groups that we, as pack animals, run in, our work group is pretty important. We spend 40 hours a week, 50 hours a week in our work group. Radical transparency requires that you put some of that cohesion in jeopardy. Now, over time, I would argue that if everybody's doing it, now the group just does it that way. But that's what's been a little bit hard to get this going at Stone Creek is if, if I were to say to somebody, hey, one, two, three, four, five, six, I, I'm not agreeing with what you're saying. And here's my perspective, my mental map, walk me through yours. And, and somebody has to 
you know, be put on the spot and feel like maybe they're not prepared or they don't understand, it can be a little intimidating. And, and that goes both ways. It's happened to me as well. Mm-hmm. So I think the number one hindrance is that we want to be liked by our peers. And when you speak with radical transparency, there is a risk that people are going to be emotionally hurt a little bit. They're going to be misunderstood. But the key is getting everybody to do it so that things can get fixed, cleared up. But I think that's the number one reason we don't like to do it. Yeah, you hit on the concept of emotion. Like, it's really hard to share and be shared with, whether in a positive or negative context, um, without feeling emotion. I don't think that our society is really used to arguing without a high degree of emotion. And what I mentioned earlier is we're not advocating for radical emotionalness, um, to be radically emotional in your business context. We're trying to cultivate an environment that just is about the exchange of ideas, where the ideas are evaluated purely on their logical merit. And leaving emotion out of that exchange of ideas, out of that argument, is just really, really difficult. Oh, it can feel a little contentious at times. It can be a challenging environment to work in because your ideas are challenged not because somebody is trying to be dominant or somebody wants to win. If the ideas are challenged, no matter whose ideas they are, we will get to a better conclusion with regard to whatever issue we're processing. And so this idea of challenging your peers, it's difficult particularly moving from a culture where you have a handful of leaders who have historically made decisions and then you start challenging people, trying to get them to bring their best thinking. And now the leaders are pushing, pushing, pushing. And so it can backfire as well. So we have to challenge while also inviting people to be safe in how they can then work into that exchange. I'd say one other hindrance that Drew touched on is this idea when when somebody says, I feel, like being radically transparent is not, you don't get to just say, I feel. That's, a, that's an okay place to start. Of course, you're saying, I have an idea. Okay, well, tell us about your idea. And the key for those of us who are trying to teach this idea is say, okay, you feel X, Y, Z. Walk me through why you feel that way. Mm-hmm. Where's that coming from? What's the basis of it? So it's, it's not, you have to challenge and coach all at the same time. And that, that's tricky. But to get this to work in the culture, you have to do both. And the last thing I'll say is some people love this. A lot of people kind of like it intellectually, but don't quite gravitate towards it naturally. And then a few people will just flat out not like it. You know, their egos or their ability to defer to the best ideas. Some people just can't do that. And I I don't know how that's all going to play out with us. I, undoubtedly, some people will come into this company and be like, wow, this is, this is kind of crazy that these people speak this openly and straightforward. For some people, that will be deeply refreshing. And for other people, they will not like it at all. And ultimately, they will either leave or ask them to leave. But what I want is a group of people that are into it. And I think that becomes a very strong and powerful group with regard to processing and thinking about business issues. And it's not to mitigate the importance of feeling. Like our feelings, how we feel about a particular issue as people is really important for how we then operate around it. But um, what we're saying is that the feeling, while important, cannot influence the decision related to the facts is that how we feel about the decision can and should be dealt with and managed. And I think a business can do a lot around how it approaches our feelings, but those feelings can't be the basis for decision making. All right, so let's 
turn radical transparency on its head a little bit because one of the things we've talked about over the last few weeks, Eric, as we, we, we're pushing the idea of radical transparency forward is that alone is not enough. Like to sit in a room and have us both be radically transparent back and forth at each other may just lead to a- A uh, tear? Not exactly. I was actually thinking about monkeys throwing feces. (laughs) 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 So it it has to be met with sort of the, the opposite end of that spectrum and that's the idea of radical openness. And so why, why, in your perspective, Eric, is radical openness the necessary counterpart for radical transparency? Yeah, this is one that I've struggled with. It's also a concept that I took out of Ray Dalio's book. I don't know that he talked about it as the, the kind of opposite or corollary to radical transparency, but I had attended a lecture last year about communication. And if you think about what communication is, I mean, it's pretty wild that we can sit here and sort of make some noises that we all interpret as words, process them in our brain, create our own mental map of what somebody just said to us, and then interpret it and somehow act on it. But the idea of radical transparency is only interesting if you have other people on the end who are radically open, because the idea is that you will be processing back and forth. So I say X, you say Y. I say one, two, three, and you say, well, walk me through how come one, two, three. And that listening or being radically open is critical to learning. And if you're not open, you're not learning. At the end of the day, if Drew is telling me an idea or one of our baristas is telling me an idea and I'm like, and I'm constantly just thinking, well, I've already solved this. I solved this 15 years ago. You know, you don't realize I've been doing this and blah, blah, blah. You know, here's the answer. One, two, three. That's really foolish because I'm not being open to what someone is saying to me. It's both respectful and it's also deeply productive to just shut up and listen, 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 and think about and process what other people are saying, because then you bring that into your mental map. It's another piece of information that continues to fill out the grid of your mental map on a given topic. And the more pieces of information you can get, the better your framework upon which you can then help guide whatever decision we're processing. So this one has been very difficult. It's easier for me to be radically transparent because of my overbias, my overconfidence bias, than it is for me to be radically open, which means radically open means being a good listener. So we're going to talk for a few minutes here as we wrap things up about um, the way that radical transparency has helped us solve some problems or make some progress on some problems. And I think we've got, of course, a long way to go and a whole list of stuff we got to get better at. But I was just thinking of uh, around the time we were wrestling through Chicago. Well, I guess it was probably a few months after that. We uh, we were having a lot of problems getting our hands around our our tech service is what we call it our facilities department the volume of equipment that we have at stone creek is pretty massive a lot of fixes you know we got equipment in our wholesale partners and so keeping on top of this stuff was was hard it was was difficult and we had some tension within our our tech service team and i personally just struggled to figure it out. And I had hired a couple managers for that team that didn't work out for a variety of reasons. But we got to February, January, February of, of 
2018, Eric said, you know what, let's get everybody in the room. Like, let's let's have the whole team sit down. Let's have people from other teams who interface with this team. And let's just understand what's going on. Let's give everybody the chance to speak and say, hey, here's my perspective on this issue, or here's what's really frustrating for me, or here's what I think is really going well. And let's just listen, ask clarifying questions, and try and understand what's really happening on this team. And so that exercise and meeting started the development of a whole whole program that we, we use now to assess the health of our teams and what's working well and what projects we need to do to, to move teams in the, in the right direction. But it all starts with just hearing from the people who are doing the work. Like, don't assume you can descend from on high and just show up and radically change things and make them all better. It's, there's the, the business is just too complex for that now. We're, we're too big. So we need to rely on the people who are doing the work um, and we need to listen to them. And if we, we listen and we say, okay, listen, we have the wrong people on this team, we can deal with that, we can address that. But first we need to actually understand what are the problems that are hindering our performance. As Drew said, we've we've really rebuilt in partnership with the people on the team, three different teams in the last nine months or so. And that work was hard, but it started with the idea of radical transparency. It's a, And the idea that we would come into a room for three or four hours, every person on the team. So it didn't matter if you worked five hours on that team or, or 50 hours, didn't matter your role. We simply got at the table, we sat down at the table together and we gave everybody as much time essentially as they needed to say their piece. Here's what I see, here's what I feel, here's what's going on. And as Drew said, we asked clarifying questions so that we could better understand what they were seeing and what they were feeling. And ultimately, we didn't do that so that we could then take their information and create uh, a new plan and then come back two weeks later and say, here's the new plan. That was step one of a multi-step process whereby we were helping the team self-regulate, self-correct, talk to each other about what roles people should play or could play, and that ultimately the answers we came up with, the team helped guide that work. And the benefit of all of that is that they were fully vested through that whole process. So whatever changes came out of that, they had plenty of opportunity to kind of work through that as a group. And our job was to clarify and guide and keep them moving forward. And it was a scary process. I, I didn't know how it was going to turn out. I, I had to take some risk and say, well, let's let the team see if they can figure out um, where to go from here. We'll see how it, how it plays out. But these teams seem to be performing at a higher level already. And I would put it in contrast to what I would do before this and that the, the descending from on high, for, for lack of a better term. But when we had team problems, it was more of a, hey, I'm going to work with maybe one or two people, maybe work on my own and, and articulate where I think the team needs to go and then make it go that way. Just brute force it. And while that certainly helped in some cases, not nearly to the extent of what we're doing now. And it, and it was not as good for the people. Like our retention rate in these transitions of just being honest with what we know and don't know together, but being clear about the outcomes we're trying to achieve is producing, even through some pain and some difficulty, teams that are able to then move forward together without this big like overhaul of the people involved. And I'm really proud of that as well. So another concept related to radical transparency and its presence in our business is this idea of coupling. And I first encountered the idea of coupling when Eric got on to me about six months into my <laughs> six months into my time at Stone Creek. But we'll save that for another time. Eric, talk to us about coupling. 
So coupling is a concept I learned, I don't know, five or six years ago in a different lecture that I was at. But coupling is basically this idea that at work you sit through a meeting with maybe eight or ten of your peers and then two of you leave the meeting and you go back to your cubby or your little work area and you uh, you start talking about the other people. You or whine. You, yeah, you complain or you – that's coupling. You couple up and you start talking about other people or projects. And I have worked um, here at Stone Creek to try to ask people not to couple, that if you have a problem, it's on you to speak publicly and the reason we're bringing this up here is because it's the idea of radical transparency that if you have a concern or you don't agree with what somebody is saying, that you need to speak up in the moment. Yeah, I'd say it's easy to, to just pair up and, and whine and complain without having to actually deal with the issue. But I think that's selfish. You're, you're protecting yourself and you're sort of vindicating yourself if things go wrong. You can almost sabotage the idea if you're a coupler instead of an engager. And then when things go wrong, you can kind of thump your chest and say, I knew it. But really, you're part of the problem at that point. When I mentioned Eric got onto me, it wasn't anything massive, but it was just discussing the dynamics of the room with somebody else. And Eric's point was, listen, that's just not, that's not helpful. If the dynamics of the room aren't great, then fix them. And then we can move on from there. But you can't just complain about it, deal with a problem, and then move on and deal with it with the people who you, quote unquote, have a problem with. All right, in two weeks, we're gonna talk about doing work that you are uniquely talented to do. When is the last time you took a step back from your daily work to ask the simple question, is this the best way I could spend my time? Like, how might I be the most productive me possible? We have good times on the way as we dig into those questions and our work as a company to build high-performing teams with highly unique people. In the meantime, we're sipping on a lot of uh, a new coffee um, that'll have just come out when this podcast goes live. It's uh, coffee from Burundi. It's super fresh, right off the boat. It's from the Long Miles Coffee Project, and it's a natural processed coffee. So you're going to get like a lot of fruity blueberries, strawberries, milk chocolate. Um, really an amazing coffee if you like a lot of fruity juiciness going on in your cup. So you can get that at StoneCreekCoffee.com, uh, or you can get it at any of our cafes. And I encourage you to check out the Long Miles Coffee Project. You can just go to the Googles, type in Long Miles Coffee Project, and you'll get tons of information about the work that the Carlson family is doing in Burundi. You can also reach out to us on social media, at Stone Creek Coffee, uh, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can email us, podcast at stonecreekcoffee.com. We'd love to hear from you, field any questions you have. I've gotten a few questions over the last few weeks, mainly about how to brew coffee better. Hey, those are fine, I'll take those. Would also love to get your show topic ideas. To send you on your way, I would just encourage you, don't ever use the excuse, I was just being transparent, to cover up your failure to be kind and gracious. That's not what radical transparency is about. Instead, have the fortitude to share yourself and couple that with the radical openness to question yourself and to never stop learning.